And there's only two weeks till Christmas. Are you excited? Yes. Anybody stressed out? Yes. Ah, of course. We use, a lot, we use the word peace when it comes to Christmas a lot. But a lot of us don't always feel too peaceful. Truthfully, these cookies were made partly with love and mostly with expletives. <laughs> Mary, well, I just had a baby in a barn. So thanks to everyone who brought gifts, the gold, the perfumes, all things babies love. Also, the child who inexplicably played drums like right in my face. This, this was great. <laughs> yeah, Mary had a pretty stressful Christmas, I'm sure. My favorite Christmas tradition is to watch my kids annihilate all my ornaments one by one as my left eye twitches to the tune of Mele Kalikalmaka. <laughs> is peace just an illusion? Something we talk about, something we sing about, but is it real? John asked Garfield, what would you like for Christmas, Garfield? World peace? Seriously, though, how about another button for Pookie here? Yeah. We can all say that we want world peace, but then we come back down to it, to a button for Pookie, because that's more attainable. That's just more realistic. We celebrate and elevate Christmas in terms of peace. The angels proclaim to the shepherds on that night of Jesus' birth, peace on earth, goodwill to all. We sing the Christmas carol lyrics, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. But where is the peace of which we sing? We walk through the mall, the grocery store, our children and our education staff walk through the halls of school, and we wonder, will this be the next place of shooting? One in five children in Greene County will go to bed tonight uncertain to where their next meal will come from. One child is seven-year-old Blake. When I'm hungry, I ask my mom, and she says we don't have nothing. We're supposed to have a full refrigerator, but we don't. I don't like it when I'm hungry. How much peace is Blake feeling tonight? Is peace just an illusion? The message of peace about Jesus became the message of Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples to offer peace to the people. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. He taught his disciples on the night that he was arrested and tried and the night before he was crucified about peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And his first message to his disciples after his resurrection was, peace be with you. Okay, it's a lot of talk about peace. So where is the peace? Why is peace so elusive? Have you ever heard of the Hebrew word for peace, shalom? Shalom is the word that Isaiah uses in this very Christmassy passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
For to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word shalom has with it the idea of harmony and wholeness and health. A World War II veteran was talking about his experiences of the war to a group of kids at a public library. And during the Q&A time, one of the kids asked, how did you know the war was over? And the World War II soldier said, I knew the war was over when they quit shooting at me. And that's really what we think of when we think of peace. It's when something stops. To a soldier, there's peace when they're not shooting at each other anymore. To a child who watches parents fight, peace comes when they quit fighting. So to us, peace is when something bad is happening that stops. It's the cessation of the tension, the cessation of the conflict, the end of the war, the end of the gut-wrenching fight that the parents are engaged in. But the Hebrew concept is so much bigger than just stopping the conflict and stopping the tension. Shalom is a transformation of the conditions that lead to war in the first place, that lead to the parents fighting, that lead to the countries at war. The experts tell us that the common issues that are present that precipitate war are things like economic gain, territory gain, religion is up there in the top three of the reasons uh, countries get into war. And then nationalism, our country's better than your country, and then revenge. Shalom is to deal with those issues, not just stop the shooting at each other, but to deal with those conditions that cause people to shoot at each other. <clears throat> when there's shalom, everything gets to function the way it's supposed to function, the way it was created to function. Shalom rejects the idea of a zero-sum gain. A zero-sum gain, you know, is when I win and you lose, or you win and I lose. Shalom takes that away. Shalom makes everyone a winner. Everyone leaves happy. Everyone gets a trophy. People in our culture call the concept where everyone gets a trophy soft. Spoiled kids. Isaiah calls that shalom. You think it's time that we begin to adopt a spiritual, godly, 
concept of inner reaction and the giving out of trophies rather than a cultures. Everyone wins in Shalom. So Shalom, it transformed the conditions that lead to war in the first place. And then it dares to imagine the comprehensive flourishing of every person and everything all at the same time. That's Shalom, where everyone and everything flourishes, not just the 1%, not just this group. Everyone gets a fair deal. Everyone gets a, a, a good rate on a mortgage, not just one race versus another race. Everyone flourishes. So how is this Prince of Peace going to accomplish this? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I read scripture and I, I glean a few things that I'll share with you, see how we can do with these things. First of all, as John and Yoko said, and Isaiah said at first, war is over. The message Isaiah got regarding Judah and Jerusalem, there's a day coming when the mountain of God's house will be the mountain solid, towering over all mountains, and all nations will river toward it. People from all over set out for it. They'll say, come, let's climb God's mountain, go to the house of the God of Jacob. He'll show us the way he works so we can live the way we're made. Wasn't that the truth? He will show us how to live the way we're, we were created to live in fairness and being equitable where everyone flourishes. And Zion is the source of the revelations. God's message comes from Jerusalem. And God will settle things fairly between nations. He'll make things right between many peoples. They'll turn their swords into shovels, their spears into hoes. No more. I used to laugh at that <laughs> when I was a kid. I don't know why the translators used that. Anyway, they did. I could have changed it, but I wanted to laugh again. No more of them. <laughs> no more of them. I got to get another drink. <laughs> no more will nation fight nation. They won't play war anymore. That's an interesting word, isn't it? It's almost like Isaiah is looking at this fighting and say, this is just a silly game. Y'all just quit playing. Yeah. Ain't going to study war no more. Come, family of Jacob, how about it? Let's live in the light of God. Let's live in the light of love. Go back to the Isaiah chapter 9, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms, blood stained by war, will all be burned. It will be fuel for the fire. Then another prophet, Micah, about the same time that Isaiah lived, it says that God will arbitrate between many peoples and settle disputes between many distant nations. Same message. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not use weapons against other nations, and they will no longer train for war. Yeah, this Prince of Peace says no more war. War is over. 
Second way that this Prince of Peace will, I think, accomplish this is to help us understand and develop policies where everybody gets in on the flourishing. Not just a select few. Go back to nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 7. There will be no limit to how great this authority will be. The peace he brings will never end. Uh, the rule on David's throne and over the kingdom will go on and on and on. His rule will be based on what is fair and right, and it will last forever. It is comprehensive. This rule will be a ruling of justice and fairness and goodness. And so everyone will get in on it. Everyone will flourish. And this shalom idea where everybody flourishes and one group doesn't flourish over at the expense of another group, but everyone does. And, and that's hard for us in the United States of America, a country that I am so proud to be a part of and I love so much. But this idea where everyone flourishes equally at the same time goes against our capitalistic culture. But it's shalom. And I think we have to come to a point where we wrestle with, and I, I wrestle with it. There are so many things about capitalism that I love, but then I realize there are so many things about capitalism that seem to be inherently unfair. And it has not brought everybody. The water has risen, but not everybody has risen with it. The Pew Research tells us that 45% of Americans want a Christian nation. But I don't think shalom is what they're thinking. If we really wanted a Christian nation, and we say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and if the Prince of Peace was really ruling, then there would be shalom. There would be no more war. And there would be equal flourishing. I don't think that's what most Americans who want a Christian nation are thinking about. Next thing I learned from this whole Hebrew and Christian scripture study of peace is this. Peaceful people make peace. Jesus in the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, one of them is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So what if you're not a peacemaker? Well, I guess you're not called a child of God. If we're not actively pursuing peace, if we're not actually pursuing the end of war, if we're not actually pursuing flourishing for all, can we call ourselves a child of God? A child acts like the parent. A child looks like the parent. A child takes on the characteristics of the parent five times a day, no exaggeration. Denise will look at me and say, you look just like your mom when you do that. And my mom was really good looking. 
<laughs> but I've got mannerisms that just remind Denise of, Denise is my wife, for those of you who are first time. You give them a wave, Denise? Yeah. But uh, it reminds uh, Denise so much of my mom. And you know what reminds people of God? Of the divine parent? It's when us, his children, live for peace. Hmm. Robert Fulgham, back in 1986, I think it was, he wrote that book, Everything I Need to Learn. Uh, I learned in kindergarten or whatever, something like that. But he said this at another time, peace is not something you wish for. It is something you make, something you are, something you do, something you give away. One of the most interesting passages in the poet, prophet's book of Isaiah is this one. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. My feet are not my best asset. I, I've always been embarrassed to take off my socks. I didn't take off my socks for the first 10 years of our marriage. It's just very embarrassing. And I never bought open-toed sandals and all that kind of stuff because it's really just not good-looking feet at all. But, uh, you know, I, I could have worse feet, I suppose. Isn't it the most unique carrot you've ever seen. <laughs> but here is hope for people like me with ugly feet. There is this metaphor that if I am a person of peace and if I will work to establish peace in my personal relationships, in the relationships at church, in the relationships in the community and around this world, then that peace can turn my ugly feet into something beautiful. Hmm. Peace is achieved, lastly, whoops, from the inside out. One of my favorite writers is a Buddhist monk who passed away a couple of years ago, Thich Nhat Hanh. He was a Buddhist monk during the Vietnam War, serving the people of Vietnam. And he says, if you want peace, be peace. If you want peace, be peace. Okay, how can I be peace? I do want peace. But I'm so nervous, I'm so anxious, I'm so mad, so angry at things. How can I be at peace? Well, take a look at this video and you'll see. You can't be angry and watch a penguin walk. <laughs> Just look at a happy penguin video every day and you'll be at peace, I promise. It's the best meditation I've ever done is watching penguin walk. But there may be something else. My experience has been this, and it may not be this for you. Uh, lately, over the last several years, my experience is this interior peace for me comes when I live in an awareness that God is. One theologian that I studied at Southern Baptist Seminary, Paul Tillich, said that God is the ground of all being, that everyone and everything 
comes from that fertile ground. And love is the ground of all being. So peace comes to me when I realize that God is and that God dwells in all of creation. Even the people I am so frustrated with. The people at whom I am so very angry. The peace and with whom, people with whom I just vehemently disagree. Peace comes to me when I live in an awareness that that person is also connected to God. And that God dwells in that person. And out of that awareness, for me, flows a compassion for that person. And a willingness to understand that person. And that being willing to understand opens up a doorway into them understanding us and us understanding each other. So peace for me is achieved more effectively by trying to point out the good in other people and find the good in other people instead of pointing out the bad and looking for the bad in other people. Our own peaceful presence is going to do more to persuade people and to try to point out where they're wrong and where you're right. Years and years ago, when Daniel and Devin were just learning how to mow the grass, I think it was Daniel that was cutting the grass along the side of a house between our property and our neighbor's property. And, you know, as kids cut the grass, they're just pushing that big mower and they'll go, you know, like this. And it just looks like a curvy road down there. And for people like us that like perfection, it's a little bit hard to watch your kid cut the grass. And it was really hard for my neighbor. <laughs> because Daniel didn't stay on our side of the line. And he crossed over into the neighbor's line and he did this. And, and Daniel was out there just working as hard as he could and just trying to do a good job. And he was doing a good job for that age of a kid. I mean, three years old, what do you expect? <laughs> Well, our neighbor just came running out of his house, just fuming smoke out of his ears and his teeth glaring and everything. And he just kind of yelled at Daniel. And I, I was out in the yard. I wasn't going to let him cut the grass by himself. So I, I came over and uh, I stopped and I said, Daniel, that's okay. Go on inside and, and I'll, I'll talk to our friendly neighbor here. And so I talked to him a little bit, and I tried to be peaceful. And I said, you know, one thing I admire about you is how neat you keep your yard. And I appreciate that about you. And uh, I, I, I would like to be able to keep my yard as neat as yours. And I'm trying to help Daniel do that too, and I'd appreciate your help with that. And, you know, the temperature came down and uh, went back in the house and told Denise about it. And, and she has a chocolate chip cookie recipe that is to die for. She made a batch of chocolate chip cookies and, and Daniel and I and Denise, Devin took those cookies over to our neighbor. 
You know, we weren't best friends with our neighbor after that. But it was a lot better than it was. I did ask the neighbor to give Daniel a break. So I approached it with compassion, a compliment, cookies, (laughs) and then correction. And I did tell our neighbor, what you did was very hurtful to Daniel. And I know you didn't mean to hurt him, but you did. Have a cookie. So to be peaceful doesn't mean we just let an injustice go at all. We stop people from being mean to other people. But there's a one way to do it, and there's a not-so-good way to do it. Well, let me close. Thomas Hardy was an English novelist, and he never missed an opportunity to express how deeply disappointed he was in Christians, in Christianity. Around 1900, Hardy was in a conversation with a Christian. And he told this man, you know, we, the civilized world, have given Christianity a fair trial for nearly 2,000 years. And it has not yet taught countries the rudimentary virtue of keeping peace. We've not done a very good job of following the Prince of Peace. Around 1900, Thomas Hardy wrote a poem 1924, rather. And he called this Christmas 1924. It was after World War I. Peace upon earth was said. We sing it and pay a million priests to bring it. After 2,000 years of mass, we've got as far as poison gas. Hmm. I wonder what would happen if those of us and around the world who say we follow the Prince of Peace if we actually follow the way of the Prince of Peace. Just what would happen? It's worth a try. Don't you think? Let's pray. Father, we have fallen so very short of Shalom. And I'm afraid we've adopted the cultural values rather than the values of love. I've done that. Forgive me for it. This Christmas season, help us know that this is a good time to actually do what we say, and that is celebrate, elevate, and emulate the Prince of Peace. In his name I pray, amen.